Welcome to the Winning at Business podcast. In my previous life as a tennis coach, I never once coached a racket or a ball. It was always the player. I believe business is also a game. As a business owner, the better you understand the rules and play that game will give you the best chance of winning. With my co-host, Shirley Heron, we discuss, unpick, and often rant about the challenges business owners like you face on a daily basis. The topics are driven by the conversations I have with my coaching clients and how they overcome their external and internal barriers that get in the way of winning. Kay went to the greengrocers this morning and we've, we've uh, stopped the press. We've got a juicer, finally. Oh, you've juicer. fallen down that trend. Fallen down <laughs> the juicer hole, yeah. But it's been pretty cool because we put things like courgettes and at the moment it's amazing because we can go out into the orchard and pick our own pears and our own plums and our own apples. I made an amazing blackberry, um, I'm sorry, of the orchard pie. <laughs> all these different bits of fruit in it. Anyway, so we've, we've, yeah, we've got this juicer and Kay's been getting loads of veg from the juicer. And she went to the greengrocers this morning and she kind of made a, like a, a list of veg that she'd like to get, looked at a few recipes. And on the list was watermelon. Okay. Um, and so she gets down to the greengrocer and says to Natalie, have you got any watermelon? And Natalie goes, actually, I do. Um, I wasn't going to get any, but I thought I better get one just in case somebody wants it. But it's really, really expensive. And Kay went, and? <laughs> and and it, it's, it's really interesting this. So she came home with a quarter of a watermelon, because I think that one would have been excessive. Not because <laughs> it was expensive, but one would have been excessive. Love watermelon, so I'll have a play with that on the juice yesterday. But it really brought up a couple of things for me that I wanted to talk through today. And one is this this principle of what what is what is expensive. Okay, so Natalie's expensive is K's whatever. Mm. I don't care, and I think K's whatever I don't care is because she was going out to buy something she wanted. Yeah. And the fact that Natalie could provide it was enough to make the sale because she wanted it. Mm. The other thing I'd like to explore is why did Natalie feel the need to apologize for how expensive it was? Mm. Yeah, Thoughts? Interesting. Well, some of that is anchored in her own expectations of what um, expensive means to her but just because it's some you perceive something to be expensive doesn't mean that everyone perceives it to be expensive and also what's important to you may not be uh, the same thing that's important to somebody else so for example maybe natalie doesn't really like watermelon true so but, she wouldn't value but, it so she's not going to value it so she's not going to she might have it if it's not very expensive but she's not going to pay a lot of money for it whereas if Kay really wanted watermelon it's it's something that's important to her and therefore you're willing to spend more money on it mm. um i think from your description Kay had also set in her mind I am going to get watermelon. Yeah. I'm not going to come home without the watermelon because I've decided we've got this juicer. I want to make this recipe. I'm gonna I'm gonna feel like I've missed out if I come home and I don't I can't make that recipe because I don't have watermelon. Or I've then got to go to the hassle of going somewhere else to find a watermelon and that's more time, more money, 
you know, whatever. Because it's, re- it's sorry, but it's really interesting just thinking about this because from the greengrocer's perspective, she's she's got a kind of everything in place to make that high end sale. Mm-hmm. Okay, she's got scarcity. There's only one. Yep, <laughs> can't get much more scarce than Generally, that, can you? <laughs> okay. She's got a captive audience. Mm-hmm. That captive audience wants the one watermelon. Mm-hmm. They want it today. Mm-hmm. There's more time, more, more, more time pressure there. And as you said, it's anchored to a greater purpose, desire, yeah. need that she wants to fulfill. Yeah. So why apologise? I mean, it's, it's like you, you couldn't have made up a, a better sales pitch if you tried. Mm. You, you, could, you could, you know, if that was put into a sales letter, you know, we've got one watermelon and it, it goes tomorrow and I've, you know, the, I know there's going to be 50 people coming to the shop today. The likelihood is somebody's going to ask for a watermelon. Mm-hmm. Don't be the one who misses out because then mm. you're not going to have all that lovely juice that you want to make and you know your diet and blah 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 and feeling good and all the rest of it mm. like you couldn't make it up could you mm. why apologize i think it's just rooted in her own belief system about what she would pay for it whether she would want it i don't know the answer i'm not because i think i think i think what's really really interesting from a I know you've done a lot of combined behaviours, but mm. from a selling behaviour, mm. I think yours, our selling behaviours are affected by our buying behaviours. Absolutely. I mean, they're, they're all based in biases and, and what you perceive. That's why I'm saying it's about her own beliefs, because yes. it's about what she perceives is worth paying for and a, and a value that she would attribute. Some of that's going to be because she knows how much she paid for it at market yeah. when she bought and, it. And maybe she thought that was expensive at that point. Exactly. Yeah. And so she's then got to put a markup on it and feels apologetic Yep. about putting a markup on it. Some of it's about her own confidence and, mm. you know, confidence in her business pricing, um, the ability to turn business away. Although I'm, it is quite funny when you go down there because pretty much every time you buy something, it's a different price. Yeah. I think she just makes it up on the spot. Probably. <laughs> that, that, that's, a, that, that's a different thing. But I, I, it's interesting because I think the relevance of this is that, well, I know the relevance of this is I, I did some sales training for a team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not a sales trainer, but they wanted, you know, it's part of the work we were doing, just talk about confidence when you're selling and stuff like that. And it was a really, really good discussion. And we did a few exercises. And w- w- one of the exercises we did is we, we worked out, I mean, they already knew it, but I just thought it'd be good to do it there and then. We worked out the average value of the sale mm-hmm. that they were putting in front of people consistently. And then I said, okay, well, what would have to happen for you to, the next time you have a prospect and the next time you're in the middle of that sales conversation, add a zero? Mm. And they immediately go, oh, well, what, what else would we be offering? You know, how, how, how could we do that? And I said, no, 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 no. You're going to sell the same product, the same service, and instead of charging, on average, £400 for it, I want you to look them in the eye and say, it's four thousand pounds, please, mm-hmm. for the same same service. And every single one of them was just. Silent. I see the jaw drops. <laughs> I can't do that. And actually, what was going through their heads is, I would never pay four thousand pounds. Yeah, exactly. And that's anchored in your own belief system about what is valuable to you. Yeah, and and we talked, you know, at length in the past about you are not your customer. Mm-hmm. 
And, and I think this, this is a really, really important lesson because there are lots of ways to set pricing. But the worst way to set pricing is what you believe your product or service is worth. Yeah. Unless you've done a lot of work on your own values. Mm-hmm. And I think there are too many people who, I mean, the, 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 the client, the owner of the business yesterday kind of jokingly said um, that actually they, they don't really use a lot of people that I refer them to because it seems that I've always told them to put the prices up for the time he's got to them. Damn, we need to find somebody else. <laughs> so, but it's, it's, it seems to be a constant battle for people, mm-hmm. um, about that, that pricing piece. And, and I think that, you're right, it is stemmed in what is important to you. Some people quite happily spend four grand on a handbag. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't. Not even for somebody else, no matter how much I loved her. But there is always somebody who will pay that of higher course. price. Always. Yeah. You know, you're talking about um, buying behaviours and, and selling behaviours. You know, the, the research and science shows that you should always have three price points and you should have a, a good, better, best and your best should be super expensive, mm. but your better isn't necessarily, depending on which way you want to skew behavior, and that depends on your profit margins, because you might want them to buy the cheapest product, because that actually gives you the best pro- profit margin. Yeah. Um, or you might want them to buy the middle product, so you anchor it against your high, super high product. You know, you, you've got to play with where that middle product sits, but you can really skew behavior based on how you price those but there will always be somebody who spends four thousand pounds tiffany's are selling a paperclip for i can't remember how much it is but several hundred pounds pounds for a paperclip for a gold albeit but it is just a piece of gold wire it does exactly the same as a tin paper whatever they're made yeah you can get a thousand for a pound yes (laughs) yes but someone must be willing to spend Several hundred pounds on a gold Tiffany's paperclip. And I think there's another thing here as well, um, because one of the things I said to this team is that it doesn't matter whether you would buy it or not. Somebody out, you're right, somebody out there will look at that and go, okay. And I, th- I think almost m- m- more importantly, when somebody goes, okay, it gives you the confidence to yeah. recognize that actually wow, what we do mm-hmm. has value. Mm-hmm. I, I, I always remember in my tennis coaching days when we were coming to the end of my involvement on court and I, I'd very much become the business owner and was spending a lot of my time on the things that business owners should do. <laughs> and, you know, my rackets are in a cupboard is, is, is the phrase that we used to use all the time. And it, it is really clear to my team that the last person they should call upon to cover stuff was me, okay, to the point where I would start turning up not in tennis clothing, so I couldn't even go on court. It wasn't an option, you know, mm. I'd be in jeans and a shirt and stuff like that. I, I wanted to present myself as far away from being a tennis coach as possible, just to take the idea out of their head. And we, we had on the website, because we felt we should, because it helped anchor the coaches' prices, mm-hmm. one-to-one lessons with me. So at the time, I think, um, depending on, you know, qualifications and experience, that sort of stuff, uh, a, a, an hour with a coach was maybe 35 quid, 30, 35 pounds. I can't remember, this is 10 years ago. And bloody hell, 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and so we went, well, Ash has got to be at least double. Mm-hmm. Right? And it was uncomfortable, but we put me out there at 70 pounds. And the number of inquiries went up. Yeah. 
So we're like, okay, this is a nightmare because we're having to turn people down and come up with excuses as to why Ashley's too busy <laughs> and da 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 da. So we went, okay, well, um, let's let's put it up again, and we doubled it again, and we made it 150 for an hour with me. And I remember somebody, I remember distinctly somebody calling up, and and uh, I, I happened to answer the phone. They said, oh, you know, I'd like some tennis lessons. I would like them with you because I'd answered with my name, and I was like, no, I'm really, really sorry. I'm very, very busy. Um, I might be able to do something and and he said well I, I, I can see your fee so it was 140 quid I think mm-hmm. and he said you must be really good yeah and I said to him I am where <laughs> do you want the lesson and he said well I'd like it at my house and I said well okay that that's that's absolutely fine but it, I'm gonna have to charge you three hours of my time because it's time to get there mm-hmm. time to come back and I can't be building my business and doing what I need to be doing in those you know, hours in between. It's not far away, 20 minutes. And he just, over the phone, he just went, okay. Yeah, I don't care. I just want it. I donn't it. care. I just want it. Yeah. And, and, and I always kick myself because I think I think if it had been 300, 400 pounds. He'd have still it bought it. Yeah. Because it was expensive. Yeah. And that's anchored in people's perceptions about if it's expensive, it must be good. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think I think that's, that's a really good point. Some, there are some people, sorry to interrupt you, no, no. but there are some people who won't buy something because it's too cheap. So they think, well, if it's that cheap, you know, in their head, they're mentally comparing that with Poundland and yeah. going, well, you know, only cheap stuff goes in Poundland, but it breaks. It doesn't last very long. Therefore, if I pay this cheap price, in psychologically, I'm not expecting it to last very long. It might shrink. You know, it, the colour might run in it. It probably will break after you know, a couple of uses, but that's okay because I'm not paying very much for it. And the same psychology is rooted in your cheap prices for your product, then people don't value it. No. And, and when you're selling yourself, and this this is tough, but what starts to happen is that people don't value you. Yep. And when other people don't value you because you've positioned yourself too cheaply, mm-hmm. you start to not value you. And that affects your confidence in putting in the price that's too too low in the first place. Yep. So, you know, you might be consulting and charging, I don't know, 100, 150 quid an hour, just making numbers mm-hmm. up, you know, say say 100 pounds an hour. And and you you find, you know, you find that uncomfortable to start with, you then start saying it to a few people and then somebody rejects you mm-hmm. or you get a couple of rejections because not everybody makes every sale and it's not necessarily about, it's not necessarily about the money it's just maybe it wasn't the right fit at the right time. Mm. So then what happens instead is you go, oh, well, maybe if I made it 80, mm-hmm. they'll buy. And what they're thinking about is that person and whether that person would have bought if you make it 80 quid or mm-hmm. you make it 70 quid. What we don't do is we go, okay, this person didn't buy 100. Fine. Mm-hmm. That's that person's choice. What if I made it 120? Because for every person that won't buy at 100, who might buy at 80, there's somebody who's not going to buy at 100, but would buy at 120. Yep. So I think you've got that opportunity to flip how you think of yourself when other people reject you. Yep. That- yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and you know, I think we've had this conversation before, but the fastest way to give your business or yourself a pay rise, your business an increase in profits and revenue is to put your prices up. And most people then go, oh, but I might lose some customers. 
But if you do the maths, if you put your prices up 20% and you lose 10% of your customers, you're still going to be better off and you'll have more time in your day. Yeah. Well, so it's okay to lose that bottom 10%. We did, we did this again, going back to tennis business, we did this. I think we had, I can't remember the numbers now, it was around about 400, 450 customers at that time. I, when we literally doubled prices, I mean, it was it was about three pence off doubling. Mm. Um, and we lost about 100. Mm-hmm. And then within three months, we were oversubscribed again. Yeah. Because suddenly we created capacity and people referred friends. And the people that referred friends were people who could afford the fee Thanks. that we charged. Yeah. So we oh, got, I think you gave me a piece of advice when I was doing my, my uh, skating clothing. Um, and and I, it, I was pretty resistant to it, but we agreed that I was going to put my prices up by 25% overnight. And I was absolutely <laughs> terrified <laughs> of doing this. I, I just didn't think that people would pay more than what they were already paying. I already felt like, you know, I'd already calculated my profit margins was, was all right at that price. It wasn't amazing, but it was enough to make it work. To put them up 25% was terrifying. And I was like, I'm going to lose all my business. Nobody's going to buy at this rate. What happened? One person complained about the pricing. They still bought it. They just bitched and moaned about it. Nobody else even mentioned it. Nobody. And I then got in a, in a habit of saying, well, now I am going to have an annual price range, a price increase of at least 5%. That was my absolute bottom because that kept me in line with inflation yep. and increases in supplier costs and shipping costs and all you know all the incidental things that we don't normally account for. But it's really important when you're looking at landed cost of garment yep. products. Um, and that was my absolute minimum. Come what may, every April, my prices would go up by a minimum of 5%, no matter what. Most years, I put them up between 10 and 25%. Nobody cared. And And I think... The other thing with that is that, you know, you're talking about landed products. Mm. But in a service business, for instance, if you're selling yourself or your brain or whatever, every year that you stay in business as a service provider, you're one year year more experienced. That has value. Mm -hmm. You have spent one year's more time, uh, an extra year's period of time working with clients, solving problems, mm-hmm. that has value. You've um, you've also got costs that, although you're not delivering a landed product, still are viable costs. Mm-hmm. Um, heating, lighting, office rent, office rents got up. Um, yep. You know whether you've got an assistant, you need to pay them more to keep them in line with inflation. Your costs go up, yep. even if you are a, a you know a, an individual running a business that's from your house or your loft or your office in the garden or whatever it is, and y- your pricing consistently has to um, you know match those costs, as well as the added value you give because you're further along the line mm. in in terms of experience, because if you don't. For the first reason, you're undervaluing yourself. And for the second, just because of inflation and the way it works, you're losing money. Mm. You're cutting into your profits each year. Yeah. And what I see a lot of businesses do is they don't increase, don't increase, don't increase. And then in five years' time, they suddenly do a big jump 
And that's when they lose people. And that's when they lose people because the shock is yes. too great. Um, you know, when, I, when I'm not doing them at the moment because of my hip, but when I was doing ice skating lessons, my coach didn't put his prices up for a few years and then all of a sudden they went up by a jump. If he had put his prices up by 50p a year, I wouldn't have even noticed. You wouldn't have noticed. But in total, that would have probably, 50 pence a year on an hour's lesson would have ended up in five years' time probably being more than what the price actually went up by. And I wouldn't have even questioned it, wouldn't have thought about it. I would have gone, 50p is nothing, you know. But, you know, because it went up by, you know, a few quid in a jump, my comparison was, well, last week I was paying this and now I'm paying this. Because you look at immediate. You're looking at that immediate, not, well... I've been paying that price for five years and actually everyone else put their prices up in that time. Even if you know that stuff, psychologically your brain still jumps to that and it still feels painful. Same if you, I don't know, you get your your shoes mended at the cobbler and they haven't put their prices up for ages and all of a sudden it's not eight pounds anymore, it's 14 pounds. You go, come on, you've put your prices up. The the, the story that, um, don't laugh, we can laugh at the end, but... for when I was about 18, I came across a barber mm. when I had hair. <laughs> and uh, he was in Shep's Bush, and he used to cut um, Kevin Gallon's hair, who was a um, striker for QPR at the time. So, uh, And I lived in Shep's Bush. So I'd go to this barber, a great guy, Ali. And his son was called Ali as well. And for years, I'd insist on Ali, not Ali Jr., cutting my hair because he didn't really know what he was doing. And I, I think probably for about 20, maybe 22, 23 years, I, I would get my hair cut on a Saturday on the way to the game, even when I lived in places like Reading and Oxford, because he was my barber. And after a while, Ali Jr. took over the business and he started cutting my hair. And I always remember getting up from the chair and, um, you know, whichever Ali it was, looking at me and going, and me saying, you know, how much is that? Um, because especially when I moved to Oxford, it might be four or five months before mm. I'd seen them because I get my hair locally, but sometimes I make the effort to do it and go there. And uh, he would always say the same thing every single time, which was the usual. Mm. Now, my haircut probably went, in fact, I can remember it, I think it was about £6.50 when I first went. And I reckon that probably went up to about £19, £20 for the same cut. Mm -hmm. And all he ever charged me was the usual. What did you pay? But whatever, whatever, the, the, whatever the rate was at right. that time, but the way he positioned it yeah. was it's just the usual. Because as far as I was concerned, I was a regular customer. Mm. So he, he just, I just paid whatever he usually charged me, mm. which is whatever he was currently charging. There was no embarrassment about that. Mm. There was no, oh, well, you were here a month ago and you were paying five pound fifty, and it's he had no prices. Yeah, he just, just, it's just the usual. Mm. And if I don't like it, I'll go somewhere else. And, I, 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 you know, I would drive. Sometimes it was a 100-mile round trip mm. to pay 20 quid to get my hair cut. <laughs> or I could walk down the road into town and get but it But this done. is why it's, it's so important to not, as a business, make assumptions about where people are in their buying journey and what they're prepared to spend. Yeah. I used to... Um, I grew up in Leeds and... I had a hairdresser that I trusted implicitly and obviously when I moved down here it was too far away and I couldn't go to her anymore. I would actually time my hairdresser visits so that when I was up seeing my parents I'd go and get get, my hair cut. Very similar then, yeah. And, you know, 
it didn't cost like her fee wasn't more but if i factored in the time and the petrol of whatever that was a blooming expensive haircut expensive. yeah but it mattered to me yeah. enough to make that effort yes it took time out of the weekend you know that was a whole different story um you know when i was supposed to be seeing parents and stuff and i'd go to the hairdresser for two or three hours um but you don't know that as a business owner or a salesperson in whatever you, you're doing you don't know where people are in those decisions that they're mm. making about what's important to them and why yeah so let us know listeners uh what's expensive to you what what are the things you wouldn't dream of spending a lot of money on but you would spend so how much was the water one watermelon i've got no idea didn't oh, ask okay. I, just, I didn't care what happened to the other three quarters of the watermelon you've only told me half a story <laughs> here <laughs> it's probably still sitting in the background waiting for kay to come back tomorrow and buy the rest of it <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, as always, just love to hear um, anything that resonates. What's, um, you know, what's your favorite expense story? What's the thing that... Oh, yeah. What do you what do you spend money, money on, on where money's no object? Yeah, you just don't think about your, it. Your buying decision is is overcome. All cost. based on value, not cost. Yeah, yeah, what it means to you and why it's important. And how can you take that, and maybe the takeaway today is how can you take that into your business Yeah. and stop making assumptions based on your own pricing values mm. as to what other people think you and your service is worth. Yeah. You've been listening to Winning at Business. We really hoped you enjoyed this episode. And as always, if you have topics you'd like us to cover, get in touch and we'll do our best to make it happen. Don't forget, you can also get your copy of Hitting the Wall, the book that inspired this podcast from Amazon and other retailers. Bye for now until the next episode.